Hello, welcome to Minding Your Mind, all about your mind and how it works, mental illness and mental health. With me is Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist and co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. Our, the book of the podcast, Minding Your Mind, is out now with lots of stuff and extra stuff from the podcast, but we're not going to batter you around the head uh, with it today. That was just a brief mention. Now, we recently talked about the best way to parent young kids. In this app, we're looking at it from the other side, in a way. What happens to parents, especially parents who have perhaps invested a lot of time and emotion and love in being parents, which is probably most parents, what happens when the kids grow up, need them less, become independent, and their parents change from being an essential part of the kid's life, who supplies them with food and shelter and love, to, frankly, an optional extra. How do parents deal with and adjust to that change? Is it liberating? Parents love saying it's liberating. Oh, it's so liberating. Is it sad? Is it scary? What is empty nest syndrome? Is it really true that lots of couples split up in the years after their kids leave home? Ian, uh, a time of change for parents that, you know, probably begins in the mid-teens, I guess, as they adjust to really uh, delegating, delicate, devolving, shifting a lot of decision-making responsibility, ideally, from them to their kids every year a bit more. Yes, those 15-year-old brains that suddenly don't recognise you anymore. Mm. Well, I they the... do. They just know everything you've said is suddenly not right anymore. It's wrong. Well, they're not wrong. They're just not reacting to you anymore. It's a fascinating shift in brain science, and people have looked at this in things like fMRI machines, looking at the way in which different faces, different voices change. So you look at little kids. Mm. Uh, if parents think they're really important, they are, <laughs> you know. They feel important. They, they, well, they are important. The kids' brains are preferentially responsive to them. Yeah. And then around, you know, 14, 15, they start reacting to other people, particularly peers, uh, yeah. other young people in the external world, which as evolution would have it is exactly what they should be doing. They hmm. should be out there, reach sexual maturity, looking for stuff, looking for people to get involved with who are not their family. Genetics is smart. You want to. You definitely want to mate with people you're not related to. Mm. You know, so evolutionary wise or development of the species wise, it makes sense. However, if you're on the other side of that, and you're the parent where kids have responded to your voice, to your touch, to your words, and treated you with great respect, and now they're not Less. responding, they're not reacting, they're clearly moving away. And it is, in a sense, I'm sort of emphasising here, in a sort of neurobiological sense, it really is happening. Then you are becoming less emotionally important mm. to them. And just, I think, picking up from the episode we, we recently did about parenting, so many modern parents, in such a good way, are so invested in their one or two children that they have, small number of children they've invested a lot. And, and mothers and fathers and parents, they've done that for, you know, let's just say 12, 14 years or more. They've really been really emotionally engaged with their kids. Mm. And suddenly their kids are going, well, I'm not so engaged with you. Yeah. In fact, I'm looking to become independent in the world and develop strong emotional attachments with others, which involves some devolving, some separating. Yeah. Of course, which is the goal. I mean, this is a good outcome. So if you're interested in this from the teenager's point of view, we've done an episode on that, um, How Do Families Work, discusses that a lot, the changing uh, attitudes of, of teenagers and how how – they grow and become more independent today, looking at it from the parents' point of view. So we'll talk about when the kids leave home a little bit later. But right now, how do parents work out the right amount of responsibility to entrust their teenager with every year? Because it's different for a 15, for a 16, for a 17, for an 18-year-old. I know little things like, you know, can you go out on a particular night? How late can you go out? How do you work out how to calibrate all that? What you hope is the kids are growing frontal lobes. What you hope is that they've got one trial learning. What you hope is they learn really quickly and to predict the consequences mm. of their actions. Now, of course, 
we remarked on this before. Kids are physically mature, sexually mature, you know, 14, 15. Yeah. They're big. They're out there. They can do a lot of stuff. But frontal lobe-wise, they're quite variable. Some are quite mature. They can predict. They can understand. They can learn. They make predictions. And, you know, you sort of trust them <laughs> to go out in the world and make reasonable assessments of risk, of, risk. of consequences, of you know, exploring the world, but in a moderately safe way, mm. not in a very immature, risky, putting themselves a great risk type way. Others less so. Others less so. The trouble is you can't see it. Like you can see, you know, that your son now shaves <laughs> or you can see that your daughter now is right. obviously physically mature in but particular their frontal ways. Lobes but their frontal lobes. Don't cause a bulging forehead. <laughs> you can't see yeah. the degree of connectiveness going on myelination, development, synaptic connection, you can't see how mature that actual frontal – and the variability is quite high because it's determined in part by the age of onset of puberty, which in girls tends to be younger. So boys and girls at the same age, there is a tendency for girls to be more mature at the same age from a frontal lobe point of view. But it's also individual variations huge in terms of impulsiveness Mm. and in terms of actually responsiveness to group effects because what also becomes important is not just what's going on in your kid's head but who do they hang out with. So, so collectively, so then, how mature are they? So does that mean that around those mid-teen years, you've essentially got to be making a se- an assessment of that? I mean, I suppose parents assess everything about their kids all the time, but consciously think, how good are they at learning from mistakes? How good are they at assessing risk? And kind of use that to inform the decisions you make? Yes. And we've had this, and I'm going to blame the lawyers again, James, we've had these stupid legal notions, you know, that a certain age... Oh, you automatically become... Age 14, you've got certain kind of rights and responsibilities. Age In the Medicare systems, health systems, we, got, we, we attach a magical age of 15 to various things about pursuing your own health care. And then for certain things, there's like 16 for certain ages of consent for other stuff. And then there's 18 or mm. what used to be, in some, in some ways the most conservative old stuff, 21, actually gets the most people mature. You know, mm. people didn't want people to transact property and money and really lose yeah. really important things, so they used to make it really old, you know, 21 or even 25, before you could get a hold of the inheritance sort of thing. Right. So you wouldn't do something impulsive and stupid and give it away or mm. waste it or something like that. So unfortunately, those chronological things don't work very well. Well, they work a bit in that every year you get a little bit, you know, your frontal lobes grow a bit and you get a bit better at decision-making. It just might mean that you're not necessarily in sync with other people the same age. You might be ahead of them or behind them. Not Correct. Every, so know. the variation is much more important. Yes. So your earlier point I think is really important. Parents looking at their own kids. Just because every 15-year-old, you know, whatever, or all my friends do X, Y, Z and I'm 15 or I'm 16, so I should too. <laughs> mm. So you as a parent should get out of my life. Yeah. Okay, now hang on a second. Your track record on these issues isn't so hot. So is it good to say you show me you get that you get better at assessing risk and then we'll Yeah. Then you can do it. Now, assuming the parents have got frontal lobes themselves. Yeah. And I guess I met the odd parent where I've wondered, wondered about that. <laughs> but you know, let's assume the parents got frontal lobes. Hmm. Is not only can they say that, but I actually think they can observe that. Yes. You can actually kind of see you know, allow your kids a certain degree of independence, see what they do with it. Allow them certain sort of choices, see what they do with it. And you find out pretty quickly how responsibly or how predictably they're going to learn. And of course, to some degree, kids do need to take risks in the real world and see the consequences outside of parental protection yeah. in a particular way. But how quickly they learn from those experiences, what sort of judgments they make, what sort of things they choose to get involved in, and what sort of things themselves they choose not to get involved in. You know, what sorts of relationships they continue with, with peers is a really good and a really smart thing, to what extent they break off from other relationships with kids who are going to get them in trouble mm-hmm. or not. What about this example, one that's very common and, in fact, declaring a bit of interest? I have an HSC student daughter currently encouraging kids to study. Have, you know, big year this year, you're 17, 18, have you done that English homework, da-da-da? It seems to be almost universally, um, as far as I can gather, Entirely counterproductive. <laughs> yes. So, Talk about parental so anxiety. going back to independence, yeah. Yeah. maybe that stepping into the child's big academic year at eighteen or seventeen is is too far. Well, for those kids who are doing it, who get it, yeah. You want to be enabling. You want to be supportive. Yeah. You don't want to be sitting sitting down and writing nice the study co- schedule for them. 
Do you want a hot chocolate? Yeah, rather hot chocolate. than yeah. how's your English? Yeah, how can I help out? What can I do to mm. assist without trying to take control? Of it's thing? very hard not to say. You know, these exams are really, really important. Don't you think you should be doing a bit more work? It's hard not to say that. Okay, now James, here we go. There are things that are in our head, which we can say to ourselves. Right. We probably shouldn't say to them. Right. Like that. But why not? That's sensible advice. It's a statement of fact. You think they don't know that? You think they haven't heard that from every teacher, from every school, from every person, (laughs) from everyone else's mum and dad, you know? Oh, my God, if I go to one more family dinner with parents or whatever. (laughs) In fact, I'm not going to that parent's house because if that parent says that one more time to all of us, don't all you kids know how important it is. And then they'll follow it up with them. What do you want to do when you finish school? (gasps) And what are you going to grow up to be? An astronaut, a doctor, a brain surgeon? What are you going to do that's going to be really, oh, God, can we just grow? Can we just, you know? So I think, and particularly in our world, there is such parental expectation mm. around those things that we make the situation worse. You know, there is this thing about what things can you do that make the situation worse. Hassle. In fact, I'm here from the university sector to tell you, in fact, the HSC is not that important. If right. you think it you know, actually... Because you, you, know, you failed the HSC, didn't you? <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> well, I did. I got a remark, though. I, my mother, sweetest woman, she did say, have, Ian, have you done that exam? Is it over yet? <laughs> right. So she left need, you alone. I didn't need to know. Yeah. I mean, however, it, however, however, however. But you do, you do assess the temperament of your kids. Like some kids, you you actually have to say, you know, you've probably done enough for today. You should have a break, don't you think? Isn't it nice? Stay outside. Get out there. What a good point. You know what? Studying for that thing 48 hours straight isn't going to help. Yes. Why don't you go and run around the block with your friends? Why don't you go and kick a football? Why don't you go and actually mm. go and have a surf? Why don't you go and do something else? Which from a brain learning point of view would be a better idea. Freshen up. Then, yeah, because you can't learn continuously. So the parental tasks, I mean, the parental tasks are, remain challenging, if you didn't already know this, mm. for 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds about making these kind of assessments. And I think this, this HSC exam was a really good one, of sorting out parental anxiety, yeah. parental consideration about the future from actually what's appropriate to the kid right now mm. in various ways and actually assisting. Of course, doing well enough at school and, and taking the opportunity, we all understand that. Now, actually, some do require more assistance. So, in, in, for example, for the kids who are less mature, some assistance with scheduling time, some assistance with mm. particular things may be appropriate, <laughs> even though he's 17 years old. Yeah. He still has no idea or no kind of concept about that right. or would not do any of that in a particular way. And it may be appropriate to actually assist with that, mm. to be the external frontal lobes in some situations. So just going back to general conflicts about independence for for teens, particularly in the mid-late teens, whether it be going out at night, studying, doing the washing up, whatever, how damaging can these conflicts – well, not doing the washing up because that's not about independence. How damaging can these conflicts, parent and child butting head over issues that are about independence, be – well, it's damaging in a number of ways. What I was thinking about is damaging to the longer-term relationships. What we're really talking about is transition to different kinds of relationships yes. with your kids beyond this. Yeah, so which you could characterise in a way from a dependent in uh, relationship to an independent relationship, to two independent people. Exactly, mm. which is hard, and, and a transition from the parent-child. Mm. I'm the boss, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know better. I know the future. You don't, you know. Which is even entirely can, appropriate. Which is entirely the, appropriate for three-year-olds yeah. and for nine-year-olds and other stuff, but by 15, 16. So they're in the process of that transition. Mm. And, you know, in a nice way, you'd like by 25 to have a really different kind of relationship with your kids and be much more friendly and, and in a different kind of way, hopefully to have moved right. out of that parent-child type of dynamic. Yeah. So I think the biggest damage done it's through a huge amount of conflict. <laughs> I've packed your lunch for work. <laughs> That's right. Well, we'll come back to this because just to get the number of kids who are freed in. I'm still living at home with mum at 25, 35, and mum is still packing the lunch. Yeah. Well, right. we'll come back we'll to that. That's a separate kind of that's, – that's a new not a new old development, mm. which is actually very problematic, actually, staying in those roles. But the conflict question, I think the, da- the damage done is to bust the relationship at that point in various ways, yeah. through a great deal of conflict, sometimes physical conflict in those particular kind of things. You know, really parents really losing the plot mm. about trying to enforce even physically you know, rules and restrictions and things, and kids being very inventive and working their way around it, but also, if you like, 
verbally or otherwise, fighting back, you know, in particular ways. So the, the, the biggest damage done, I think, James, is to the longer-term relationship, to really bust relationships. Yeah. There are situations where this sort of uh, late teenage conflict is the end. Kids move out. People don't wow. – they, they break up. They really – things go really badly. That, having said that, keeping it in perspective perhaps – Conflict in those years is almost universal and many, many, many recover from it. So I guess it's the degree and the persistence of it. Yeah, so it's just really say universal. Well, yes, there is a universal challenge here, which is parents who are used to being in charge mm. have to adapt to the fact they're no longer in charge. Mm. The kids who were dependent are going to become independent mm. in a particular way. Now, inevitably, this is going to create differences. So it's really about the... It's just about the nature of that conflict. And the parents are going to consider, for particularly mid-teenagers, that their children's views or whatever are ill-considered. They haven't taken into account the long-term consequences. They haven't taken into account. They're just responding to their short-term desires. Yeah. Going out with their friends tonight. I want this now. Parents going, hang on a second. Wait a minute. What about the risks? What about the costs? What about the whatever? You haven't thought about the long-term consequences, you know. I want to quit school now and go run off and join the circus. No, I want you to go back and study to be a doctor. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you haven't thought about the long-term consequences. You would have been great in the circus, by the way, but I still think your parents' <laughs> advice was good. Medicine's loss. I mean, medicine's gain. Uh... You've obviously never seen me try and juggle. I really am better off. <laughs> so, so let's now kind of zone in on the parents because there's a temptation in these sort of discussions to... Focus on the kiddies. Yeah, yeah, that's right, which, you know, isn't a bad thing. But is there something in a lot of parents that is kind of unwilling to let go, is kind of... You know, they got something from the from the dependent relationship. It made them feel important and useful, and it is hard to let go of that. And they're kind of perhaps subconsciously dragging their feet on it. Subconsciously. Consciously. Out there on yeah. the table. And it's very obvious to the kids. So, you know, I was saying earlier, the upside of modern parenting, I think, is how invested parents actually are in the emotional development of their kids. Yeah. Some would say far too much, you know, kind of. They put a lot in. Mm. And now, oh, now where's the return on investment? They don't want now, to hold my hand what? anymore. Exactly. Yeah. They don't want to hold my hand across the road. They don't want to be seen in public with me. They don't. Want, but not. But not that. There's a rejection. You're too emotionally close. You are too smothering. There's no room for anyone else in this relationship. And it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. So there's a you know just like any separation in any relationship, <laughs> and you're not the one determining it. Like many parents would not choose to back off at this point. Mm. But teenagers going down now, look, Mum, look, Dad, just get out of here. Yeah. If I can see the signs I'm making here, the pushback. <laughs> and, and, and parents kind of know it's coming, don't they? Because everyone knows, you know, everyone who's got a 10-year-old kind of somehow knows what happens to kids in their teens. So they know it's coming, but it's still hard. Oh, but James, they know it's coming in their head, okay? Right. If you feed your kids and look after them, yes, they will grow up. <laughs> it's inevitable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't, that's an interesting thing because- Bit of denial. Oh, yeah. And the idea that actually uh, this closeness is actually going to grow. Mm. It's actually going to get better, you know. And I've invested so much in this relationship, there's no chance that this kid might actually want to move away mm. <laughs> or be independent or in some way put some distance here mm. in the whole thing. So I think as a consequence of how much has gone in. Now, of course, another thing has happened, you just alluded to this earlier on, Often parents have put a huge amount into these parent-child relationships to meet their own needs mm. and have withdrawn from parent-parent relationships or parent-external worlds to make this the central emotional relationship of their life. Mm. Now, you, you say that in a way that suggests frowning. And I know, frowning. I know you've, frowning. you've talked about your own parenting style, style which wasn't <laughs> – like that. Neglectful. No, we can name no, it. No, no, I'm not saying neglectful. Removed. But, but for many people who do immerse themselves on it, they do find it the most important relationship in their life and it's, you know, they a wonderful. No, it is. They have invested hugely in it yeah. without necessarily factoring in at some point. It's going to end. The other one's going to go, this is lovely, but. It's time to move I on. I need my own space. I want to develop relationships. Mm. That are my own in depth and in physicality and in intimacy with others, not with you. Yeah. Not, that you're not, not instead of you, but. Yeah. I mean, 
I'm moving on now. I really like you in that. It's I not really you, like it's you. me. I still love you, Mum. You know, Dad, you're still a great guy. But so, so do you? Do a lot of people present for you know uh, mental health assistance to professionals where you come down to one of the root causes? Is that a lot of parents? Right. So I'm we, depressed because my kid doesn't need me anymore. Well, we see two. We see parents in conflict with their kids. So they come along with the kid as the problem, mm. right? The kid's disruptive, yeah, right. causing trouble, but won't really, take advice yeah. anymore, right. whatever. And I am, I'm going to say, in my own office, all in. Like get all the parents in, get everyone else in, like find out what the whole situation is, and you can see this play out in real life. Mm. And then after a little while, you go, now um, we're going to have to all meet a bit separately here. <laughs> mm. We're going to have to. Now, it's really interesting to see the response to that. Because some parents go, oh, of course, you'd want to see Johnny or Sharon or whatever on their own and allow whatever and allow them to start to develop their own relationship with a therapist, a doctor, a psychologist or whatever else. Others go, no way, no way. I have got to be in every session, every meeting with. Right. You go, really? Like, really? So that in itself points to you where <laughs> no. the issue might be. Okay, that's really mm. interesting. You see the parental anxiety about separation, the parental kind of idea that somebody else, even a, even a professional, might start influencing what happens on the oh, kid. So we've talked about separation anxiety of young kids when they don't want to be separated from their parents. This is kind of that at the other end, isn't this it? Is, the, is, this is, is it a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the parental anxiety about separation, but also the anxiety about other people will start to influence the kid or the kid will start to express, mm. which is probably already doing behaviourally, emotionally. The need for independence, the need for space, the need to, you know. So this must be, you know, there must be a multiplier effect when the family has particular beliefs, be they religious beliefs or political beliefs or other social beliefs that is are very strong in that family but less strong in the society around them and they would be scared that the kid is going to get influenced by the decadent people they hang around with and abandon the family beliefs. Absolutely. Yeah. I've had the odd parent in my office who makes it very clear to me, I'm going to do finger waving now, mm. <laughs> what will be acceptable or unacceptable oh, they, of what you say. E.g., like anonymously, obviously. Uh, so they're sociocultural kind of beliefs. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't want to say they're religious beliefs because I don't believe they're religious, but you see them in certain kinds of groups, you know, and people want to know what I believe first. <laughs> You know, mm. just to see if I'm on board with their religious, political, ideological, what I'm going to call sociocultural. But the things that run in their family is very strong. Yeah. And there's no way this kid's staying in my office unless I adhere to the same principles. Right. I go, hang on a sec. So it might be, you know, they've s s stopped going to church slash other place of worship. Yes. It may be, yeah, I might have been asked, you know, do you believe in God? Do you believe in, you know, do you believe in this form of Christianity? Do you, you know, oh, do you reject right. this kind of thing? Do you, you know, political sort of beliefs, you know? Like, Did you say, look, to I'm fathers not... or, do you understand? I just say this to me, Ian, you... do you understand fathers are in charge? Oh, <laughs> I go, really? well, not, I go, well, not in my family, but, you know, I do understand respect authority in certain kinds of ways. And that, you know, do you, you do understand at the end of the day that we will decide, which is usually said by dad, we will decide what happens to my child. And the child being the child going. Seventeen, wow, twenty-five. I mean, I, I accept 25. that I've lost that battle. <laughs> Even if I said that, it would have no effect on my children. Hey, I'm in charge. <laughs> yeah, really, you're I, not. Might have turned around and go, since when, Dad? Because yeah. you never were. Like, yeah, what's yeah. this new one? You know, yeah. in particular. But right. in other, but in, in, and I think these are these are as I say, they're not really religious or cultural. They're, they're individual family ideas being played out. Yeah. But they've got strong sort of settings about decision making and authority mm. and and. That, that a, a child, even at 17, I mean, in fact, the Americans talk about pediatrics, I hate. They talk about you know, children this. I go, what, seven-year-olds? I go, no, 17-year-olds. Yeah, not I go, children. no, you might use the word pediatric, but let me, let me show you, that kid's growing up and can reproduce. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that, that, you know. So, so, so then whether it's that or whether it's just this, okay, I kind of accept that this is happening, that they're becoming more independent and they need me less and I feel rejected and it's making me really sad. So whichever well, it's end – it's rejected, loss. Yeah. It's not just rejected. Is so it re re Yeah, yeah, really good parents. Mm. I don't think – I mean, the anxious parent and the other parent, I'm describing a kind of problem really. But really good parents just accept that, okay, it's happening. It's happening. And I'm not – and I'm, I'm distressed about it. And, and so what do you do about that? Well, it's a loss. I think the loss issue – Accept it. 
Well, grief, I think you actually raise a really important issue. There's a real loss here. Mm. And, of course, loss is easier if you've got other stuff. Yes. Right? Like if you've got other things in life. So you accept it's a really good outcome that your kids develop independence and uh, can make mature decisions and that's what they're moving towards. Mm. You know, really from puberty to young adulthood, that's what the whole progression is towards, independence, whatever else. But for you as a parent, there's a degree of loss in that. That really sweet little kid that used to be able to pick up and cuddle and thought you were God's gift to the world, you know, is now independent. Mm. There's a loss. It's the emotional loss. Now, when parents have really withdrawn from other adult relationships or from other world relationships, they can suddenly find, worst of all, they've got no other ones. Yeah. Because they've really seriously withdrawn. Mm. So you raise the issue about parents separating around what happens to other relationships. Not only are they losing a relationship, there's a, there's a realisation they've been so invested in that relationship mm. and the assumption, false that it was, that it could continue, that now they're in a world where actually they're really short of or have no other serious emotional relationships. And perhaps some of their emotional relationships are parents of their kids' friends who go to the same school and suddenly that point of contact is gone when they finish school. So they find out whether that relationship was really just, you know, on life support from their kids and without the kids go to the same school and having that to talk about, they've got anything in common. That's a really important sort of knock-on effect is Mm. the loss of those other social supports that were built around. Schools are so important in our communities now for all the people hanging around schools. My kids again say, oh, thank God, Dad, you weren't one of those tuck shop parents, one of those parents who lived at the school, even though, you know, the parents who live at the school to interact with other parents, not to actually take care of the kids. Actually, last night, Lucy said to the girls, "What? just hypothetically, what would you do if I got a job at your school? And they both said, we'd change schools. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, it's a fascinating one. Kids often remark on that, oh, my God, those parents that live at the school, please don't become one of those. Well, so, yeah, so there's well, lots of those but, other but again, I think it's much more common with primary school, you know, particularly um, your first kid that goes there to think, oh, this is a new thing, let's get a part of the community. But then, and this sounds consistent with what you're saying, through high school it should kind of peter out a bit. Okay, off you go. See you yes. when you get home. It's kind of understandable when you see yeah, parents yeah. hanging around preschools and schools. Yeah. There's both. They, they, they yeah. want to be with the kid. Mm. <laughs> but also, there's all these other parents, you know, really fast and they're really nice. Oh, no, it's a great community thing to be. And I must say, just for, kid, for parents to be involved with their schools, I think is a really good thing, right? Yeah. Just, you know, community. But, but, but comes a time, comes a place. Yeah. <laughs> Again, late adolescence when really. It's, it's no longer go. the time. Time to go. Yeah. <laughs> You'll okay. have to leave school again too. So let's get to the point now where the kids move out, right? Just you or, or do they? No, well, modern world. No, I know, but let's just talk about when they do. At some point they do. So do you- well, Are you encouraging them to move out? Well, the youngest one's 14, not no. yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, according to you, you probably should. Yeah, so we've had historically rights of transition passages, your things. Again, I was talking about the last time I was a parent, things in the United States, which amused me no end. But, you know, the great American transition was to send your kids to college. You know, the big weekend, you take them to college or whatever, formally, and then the parents have to go. <laughs> now they've got trouble getting the parents to go, right. <laughs> to leave. The parents go to college. Kids go to college and the parents go with them. You know? <laughs> Even more increased anxiety. In, in when uh, price of accommodation, housing, affordability, you know, most kids 17, 18, whatever else, given the chance, whether it's through further education or training or employment, to get out, share houses, be with others, you know, it's kind of expectation. But a lot of issues now, smaller families, high price of housing affordability is a worldwide phenomena, kids staying at home with their parents. But their parents actually encouraging them to stay at home. Mm. This is a bit, not just the economics behind this, mm. but there's an emotional issue sitting there too. Well, if you get on well with your kids, yeah, and you are kind of you're on good terms with them, you're close with them, and you're dreading the fact that you really don't want them to go, mm-hmm. and you like having them in the house, yeah. So I can understand that. And you want them to stay, yeah. Who knows what? There'll be grandchildren there shortly. They can stay too. Well, so one kind of tra- one. So kind you, of tra- but you, but are you, you, are you saying, okay, it's natural to feel all that, but you're doing the wrong thing. If they're 19, 20, 21, you should be pushing them out if, if it's economically viable. Yes, I am saying Are that. you saying I that? am saying that. Mm. In a, well, in the sense of 
we have to be careful here, but I mean, because it's the emotional separation. I mean, the physical thing of actually allowing them to live elsewhere and experience with the world is sort of just it's the behavioural bit. It's like the the obvious way of doing it. The real question is the degree of emotional separation, letting them actually have the space to develop other relationships mm. by having these by the experience of living out separate, making their own home, making their own decisions, making their own mistakes, forming their own relationships, etc. Outside mm. of your emotional space. Not that you don't remain supportive, not that you don't care, mm. not that you don't be with them regularly. You might have particular family events. You know, I was very lucky growing up my thing. We had a Sunday family barbecue thing, which was an all-in type thing for anybody. Mm. But, you know, the rest of the time you could be out there in the world doing what you want. I mean, it was not to discourage ongoing family connection, mm. but, but emotionally living in each other's pocket or never having any degree of separation doesn't leave a lot of space. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, if and the case of famous sort of, you know, Italian boys who stay attached to their mum, <laughs> never develop, there's no room for any other woman, right. mum first, you know, type idea. You know, it's very problematic to development. Although you do hear about parents who say, look, you know, he's 22, he still lives here, we see him about twice a week. You know, he goes to work or goes to study or whatever, and then he's out most nights and at his girlfriend's house and all of that. Yeah, so, that, so that's possibly less, well, in your view, bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think respecting that the physicality of this may vary in circumstances and everything else, but that, that sort of thing you're describing where the, the younger man is absolutely out living his own life separately, yeah. just making use of the physical resources yeah, of, yeah, yeah. of home. The separation's appropriately happened. Okay. Okay. But the loss, the loss bit, I think the bit you're skipping over here, James, is, oh. is, is the parental despair. No, no, I'm not. I parental was about loss. To yeah, zoom in on let's that zoom in on more. that. <laughs> so, yeah, so they've gone now, pushed them out, and the parents look at each other and think, what do we have in common? Uh, is our relationship anything more than, again, a life support system for the kids? We both feel sad and lonely. How do you do with that? Well, so one of the issues sort of throughout the whole child thing from the uh, birth of the first child onwards is really what happens to parental relationships during that period. Yeah. Because not surprisingly, lots of people have invested appropriately lots in the relationships with their kids. Mm. To what extent has that been I mean, at it's like the expense? Losing a job. Exactly. To what yeah. extent has it been that, that, however, at the expense of the maintenance of the adult relationship. Oh, heaps. I mean, you know, most couples would say heaps. Yeah, so if you look Date at Date most- night once every three weeks that we don't usually get round to anyway because something's <laughs> on and some kids got to be driven somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, so even discussion about date nights and what people are doing, needing to make up formal things, the kind of recognition of how much parental relationships often have suffered or ended. Suffered's an interesting word. Like some been would stressed, say, been tensed, been, been changed. tested, changed. Some would oh, say, changed. "Look, yes, our relationship is obviously not like it was when before there were kids. Um, we have a lot less time staring into each other's eyes, but what we've added is incredibly enriching." So suffered, you know. I don't know if it's suffered. Well, this is the difference between changed. Yeah. You're assessing, which the change may be entirely positive. It has. It's become that. productive and generative and, you know, mm. it's a better world. Well, the family's grown, but the one-on-one relationship between the two people has, yeah, it has suffered. It's been tested. I'm talking hypothetically. Yeah, hypothetically. <laughs> I'll just retreat to the longer-term surveys and won't make any personal comments here. Yeah, that's um, right. But let's just say if you look at the longer-term surveys of, uh, of, of these things, of, of people's sense of life satisfaction, of mm. being stressed and whatever, early childhood years are really difficult. And we say, how are they difficult? One of the things that people constantly report, not just you and me, is the stress on that uh, parental relationship and being really tested. But – you're alluding to earlier on, most people go, well, well, we're going to stick at it, you know, because for the welfare of the kids or blah, 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 unless a lot of other things happen. Mm. But, you know, a lot of it stays together. And then, of course, well, you get to the other end, 14, 15, 17, 18, whatever else, okay. So for the last 17 or 18 years, we prioritised <laughs> one or other of us has really prioritised the relationship with the kids mm. and the others go, or our relationship has been neglected, tested, uh, you know, been under some degree of stress. What do we do now? Is it? actually able to re-emerge, survive. Yeah. survive so what, so what are, what's some practical advice for people in that situation? Well, I think the first up one is the preventative thing. You Maintain know, the relationship during Yeah, yeah. During the so that thing you said about, I mean, this sort of, you know, which is now popularised as date nights or whatever yeah, else. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
I'm such a terrible parent. But I'm always encouraging, you know, couples and others, even quite young children, to have time away, you know, go on holidays, do things, spend nights away with some sort of relationships. I mean, we used to lie to the kids quite regularly. Where are you going? Oh, we're going into state to work. Actually, we're just going to a city hotel. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just think of the time you can save. This is parental advice not to be discussed with the kids. Tell them you're going into state. It takes a huge amount of time to go to the airport, to fly, to go to Melbourne. And true, city. true. Just do that. Set up the whole weekend, you know, just go to I mean, Down those, the road. Sydney, marvellous place to spend the weekend. Nearest just travel lodge. Just don't tell the right. kid. <laughs> you know, just take some time yeah. and effort and whatever in the continuous bit. So the preventative bit, and you alluded to this with teenagers because, you know, people are often really fussed about where their teenagers are and, you know, get more anxious. And mm. so, so time invested in those relationships while the kids are growing. But also then to recognise actually this period when the kids move out and whatever is actually a period of significant loss mm. and change. Which, your word, change is better than loss, but let's be frank, something else is yeah, yeah. <laughs> being there withdrawn. Is, yeah. That source of a lot of emotional warmth in every day and the stuff you have when you've still got the kids at home, mm. they're not there every day anymore. So, so, yeah, that's right. So what if you haven't done that? You haven't really you know, worked on your relationship in the previous 18 years. But you don't know if it's too late or not. Maybe Renovation time. I mean, you know. Renovation. Yeah. You have to invest. Well, I think this is one of the things to say. Really is, throw yourself into it. Yeah. Well, let's if see you, if we've got something else. Let's see what's here. Yeah. yeah. If you, I mean, I mean. I mean, I used to like you. Maybe I still do. <laughs> Perhaps. We just haven't had time to. <laughs> we just haven't to, really yeah. done that in a while. It's just yeah. uh, uh, common interests and particular things that we've got. Um, okay. Let's accept the fact that actually. We're not going to get the same degree of emotional reward from the kids anymore. We're, gonna, we're still working on having great relationships with them and mature relationships, mm. but they're not going to be the principal source of emotional nurturance anymore. Yes. So, so what me, we got? you. We've got each other. How's that working? Can it work? Yeah. And can we make an adaptation to that in various ways? And you would also say, I think, I think, hopefully I know you well <laughs> enough to read your mind now, that you should look for other social activities to, to 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 get into, things that you haven't had time to. I always wanted to learn French. I always wanted to join the surf club. I always wanted to learn how to surf, that sort of stuff. Both, yeah. And it's you're interesting. not too old. You're not too well, old. Well, there's the only new things for yourself. But the thing we're talking about here is a little bit more about the intimacy. It's a little bit about what's the source of intimacy, of warmth, because really it's very hard to apply. I mean, kids are great for that. Yeah. I mean, you know. The sense you feel of connection with your kids, intimacy with your kids and their whole life, and it's being withdrawn. <laughs> yeah. Which is very good in your head. Very good. This is a very good outcome. But, geez, it doesn't feel like that. You know. See, this is a real – and our, our next episode is going to be about thinking and feelings. This is a real thought versus feeling, isn't it? Thought says good, feeling says bad. What it's a marvellous segue. Yeah, it's mm. one of the best examples. Now I've thought of it. It's one of the best examples I can think of. Mm. Intellectually, I definitely want my kids to mature and be independent. Do I actually want – do I feel like that? No. I feel a terrible sense of loss. I want to spend more time with them. You know, I discuss with parents all the time. They finally become what I want them to be, this mature, sensitive, caring, articulate adult and now somebody else gets them. <laughs> you know, somebody else is the beneficiary of that, not me yeah. anymore. Uh, and I'm the one that loves them the most. I'm the one that's most invested. I'm clearly the one who should benefit most. I've seen the most hilarious interactions. There's some mums I really like who are so good at expressing this. <laughs> they just come right out and say, I really don't want anyone else to have that. Mm. <laughs> I've put so much effort into that. Mm. And the kid's really good at it. And now somebody else is going to get it. <laughs> but having to accept that. Having to move. Now, that, that's really problematic if you don't have other relationships where the intimacy. So, the, sure, go learn new things, do new things, revitalization, moving, change of roles is possible. Now you've got time. Maybe you've even got resources and interests that you've postponed. But, but where's the intimacy going to come from? Because mm -hmm. these, you know, I mean, parent child relationships are so unusual. Yeah, I know. Deep. So, where does it come from? Well, we're back to, okay, is it going to be the, the, the parental spouse, relationship, the spouse-type relationship? You're going to have to really make that work again. Friends? Well, friend, I mean, friends are really important, but I'm going for intimacy here. See? What do you mean by intimacy? Oh, what are, what's the hierarchy of social relationships here? Which ones really matter? Which ones? Because this, this is a really deep emotional Well, don't change. friends come straight after yeah, intimate Yeah, partner? yeah, but we're making a step down the <laughs> right, okay. second, third show. Yes, they matter. So we've talked about a lot. They matter. 
but they're not, well, they're not the same. No, they're not. But, but, they're no, but you've so, already said you're never going to get that kind of bond that you had with your kids again. So we're, we're, well, except we're ruffling around in the bargain basement, <laughs> you know. No, we're going for the first one, which was – no, well, I think you led to another thing. Do, do a lot of parents separate at this point? The answer is yes mm. because they go looking for it back in the parental relationship and – It's not there. Whatever they had 20 years ago, or it's not there. It's gone. You've got to have a fair income look, though. I mean, yes. I mean, you can't just say <laughs> the kids have just left home. Well, you can, but I, I would suggest. Well, I'm avoiding making a judgment there. I'm just simply saying, observing that no, at this point. Yeah, I know, but I guess there's two things you could say: the kids have left home. This house feels empty and lonely. Me and my my wife slash husband slash partner don't have much to talk about. Let's start again. Or you can say, well, before I make that decision, let's invest a few months in really. Seeing well, if we can, you know, give life support so to let's the take, relationship. Yes, of course. Let's take the hopeful point of view. You really did have a good relationship 20 years ago. Yeah. It's been changed and transformed by this whole particular thing. The most obvious place to start would be recognising yeah. a need to reinvest in that. Mm. But without being around the kids, it's no longer based on yeah, that's right. the shared relationship with the kids, about you and me. Mm. Interesting confrontational world to be in. It's just you and me. <laughs> Sweetie, what are we going to do? And are we going to make a success of that? Now, of course, what I was alluding to, and I'm trying to, is the truth is, or the reality is, a lot of people have grown a long way apart. Yeah. Over that time. Yeah. And so it's not as simple as saying, oh, well, here we go. Just, here we go. Well, just, well, I know we've been on hold or been in, the, been in the fridge for 20 years, but, you know, because actually they really have become quite different, even though they continue to share and continue to share and continue to have their own relationships with their own kids. That's mm-hmm. really changed. But I think it, what I'm trying to emphasise is it's not a th- since it's not easily compensated for by other social activities or just by doing stuff, mm. there's a real I mean, real loss of intimacy. Because if people don't solve it, I think they then go back to trying to do it with the kids again. Yeah, which you can do but in a slightly different way. Like you can say well, it doesn't matter. The kids are trying to be independent though. But a lot of people say, you know, I talk to my mum every day and they're independent people living, well, are they? They just like talking to each other. They're kind of friends now rather than parent-child. So when it works, yep. You ever talk to those kids who say, my mum rings me every day? <laughs> they got the phone. Oh, that's mum. And yeah. I'm in really big trouble with mum. I shouldn't believe it. This is also true of dads, okay? We're not trying to be gender specific mm. here. But, you know, I have to talk to that parent every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, they start paying out on me. Otherwise, they yeah. start, you know, whatever else. And the simplest way is just to do it. And I guess there's a difference between that and, you know, I talk to my mum three times, four times, five times a week because I really like my mum and I like talking to her. So th- th- there's diff- a difference between those two. Yes. Probably. So the – Second example you've given, yeah, people being independent, but good. I really like talking to my mum. My mum really likes talking to me. We like sharing what's happening in our world. Mm. Great. We're actually maintaining those transgenerational relationships in a productive way, but I've got the space. Without the obligation. The without obligation the, yep. is the Yeah, without the thing. dependency, without the mm. anger and frustration that arises if you don't or if you try to actually have 10 minutes to yourself. More importantly, if you try to have emotional space to yourself. Mm. So going back to where we were, so one option for the parents who find themselves in a situation is reinvest in the relationship because a fair chance the relationship they have could work better if they reinvested in it, mm. right? However, the crisis then is, the crisis for many couples then is uh, they don't work so good. I'm not so sure I want to reinvest in this particular relationship with this person now when we don't have to yeah. or when we agreed we would until the kids grew up or whatever else, mm. but what now? Like really now? And because, of course, parents then are older and they've got resources, there are choices to be made. Mm. So this is often a crisis uh, time for relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so how do you know if you're making the right decision? But, I mean, just what you said from about the importance of finding an intimate relationship yeah. to not replace but take up some of the space. I mean, I guess you're saying, look, if your relationship does – end then with your partner, kind of the logical implication of what you're saying is get back out there. Get on Tinder. Just before we go there, <laughs> I don't associate Tinder with intimacy. Tinder right. with sex, Well, sure. it can lead to it. Might, apparently. Yeah, or some of the other ones. Or whatever. Hinge, maybe. Yeah. Well, the popularity, right. just just the obvious, <laughs> I don't know. the popularity of online dating for those yeah. post 
uh, be big children right? parents is huge yeah. so one of the biggest growth areas is exactly in this market what a terrible thing to describe as a market but parents whose kids have grown up right. and are now got time and freedom and resources and are looking to form new intimate relationships mm. because that one that had led to the children no longer provides what it did so there is in our long lives and whatever else, there's a lot of repartnering or re re-exploration of the opportunities goes on at this point, which again is not an easy business. I'm not, I'm not suggesting it's easy at all. People do a proportion of people, of course, do choose to live alone. They choose not to go back to another intimate relationship. Are they happy? Well, that is one of the you know the sixty four dollar question. Hmm. People report a lot of people in that situation report that they are happier not, but they're consciously doing that. They've been in intimate relationships, they've brought up kids, mm. which has a lot of reciprocal obligations and a lot of stuff happens. Now they now free. want to, now they're free. To they want to do, <laughs> they want to do, you said they want to travel the world, they want to learn new things. Right. They don't want to enter into another re- reciprocal relationship which has high expectations or they don't want to take care of somebody else as they age. Yeah. They want the time and space to devote to their main project themselves. That sounds good, but it also sounds potentially lonely and not that intimate relationship you're saying is very important. Right. I belong to the world that says on the whole, on the whole. On, We're better off in Yeah, people pairs. thrive in intimate relationships. So, again, I really like conversations. <laughs> obviously, I'm in this age group to some degree. Conversations with friends who are really honest about this. Mm. Yeah, look, I want to get out. I want to be, I want to be out of where I am on a different kind of life. But I do not want to be on my own. Yeah, I want to be shared. I want to. I want to. I want to do the things that I'm doing in the company, not in the company of twenty other people on a bus trip, but actually in the company of somebody that I have a degree of intimacy with. Mm. So you know, how do you has, work? How do you work out which is which? You are. Do you just kind of follow your your feelings? Your so gut? here you are at a certain age. Let's just say you know. Pick an age, late fifties, early fifties onwards. Okay, mid fifties. Fifty kids have 50 moved plus out. Fifty kids on. Don't like your husband slash wife slash partner Slightly older anymore. parents, sixty, fifties, fifties. Yeah, that age. Okay, separated. And you're also seeing. Okay, what's my life expectancy at this stage? Got you know, another twenty, thirty. Before I, well, also because physicality catches up with me, right? Don't put off the great European trip until you're eighty-five. Hmm. Bad idea. You know, so want to do stuff, want to explore new things, want to maybe explore new relationships, want to actually probably have relationships that I'm might not have had previously. Yeah, right. Do different things that have all been postponed because of the kiddies and the child-rearing kind of years. It's time to live a little. Time to live a little. Make a list of what you want. I am having my gap year shortly. I keep telling my kids, haven't quite got there. You know, I'm going to do the things. I'm going to go to university. I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to explore. This is a really interesting one. I'm going to explore new kinds of relationships. I'm also fascinated by people who change the nature of relationships. What do you mean? They were in heterosexual relationships. Oh, now they want to be in a same-sex relationship. Right. They were in a very stable relationship. Now they don't necessarily want to be in the same kind want of – Want to play the field. They want to experiment with the world mm. that they did not do when they were younger. You have such a nice way of putting things that people can be so crude about. They want to experiment <laughs> rather than just want to root around. <laughs> well, you know, we, people have lived different kinds of lives yeah. at different ages in different ways, you know. And we're all presented all the time with almost this smorgasbord of possibilities. Yeah, true. And it's not always – Open your I'm mind. Trying to, I'm trying to avoid generalisations here about what is best for everyone mm. as distinct from finding out actually at your stage. I think what people what's so confronting, of course, is this now represents for parents <clears throat> of ages like mine really new challenges. Well, can we go back to something that we've said in our book in the chapter The Seven Secrets of Happiness – uh, one of the one of the seven is don't resist change. When the kids leave home, it's change. It is change. So what we tend to do then, we've said in the book, is overemphasize the threats and underemphasize the opportunities. So trying consciously, as you've been saying, look at the opportunities. Stop whinging about. I wish you know my twenty-six-year-old daughter was five again, and we were heading off to the park for the afternoon. You're not. It's not happening. You've got a different relationship now. Think about what are the opportunities. What can you do now that you couldn't do then because you were spending all your time taking care of your daughter? As Honourable Child Number Five said to me just this week, Dad, stop whinging. <laughs> I went, sweetheart, 
She went, look. And she was making a key point. You have so much opportunity in to do various things. The various mm. things you're whinging about just really don't justify mm. <laughs> which. Yeah. You've got opportunity. Sure, there's a few other things like your age and the degree of gen- degeneration that are sort of creating some barriers. Mm. And again, I think it's really interesting because some people at this point go, oh, I've done everything. I'm in this age. I couldn't possibly do anything new in relationships or in life. There's always things Shut you can Shut down do. and restricted. I don't know this comment before. I met with a, uh, another female friend of mine, a university friend who I really like, and she was making this comment that her and her husband had died, and her friend said to her, "Oh no, you, that's it now, sweetheart. You, at that age, you just need to join the bus tour and whatever." And she asked me what I thought. I went, "You're kidding, <laughs> you know? She's vibrant, intelligent, interesting sort of person, you know." My dad's the a good opportunity example. is out there. Uh, so he was sixty nine when my mum died. She was sixty nine too. And, you know, hitting 70, beginning of official old age, had a, a year or two where he's very sad. And and then, last 15 years, done all these things, rebounded, really had a, a, a second, third, fourth, whatever stage it is of life where he's, you know, learned how to cook and travelled and, well, I won't going to too many details about him, but done got lots, out there. Got out there and done lots and lots of things. I had a great story just recently uh, through a relative of uh, somebody's dad who formed this fabulous new relationship in his 80s. Yeah. With a woman who really, he really got on with it. She really got on with him. She took care of him, whatever else. He's dead around, said to his son, you know, best relationship of my whole life. Wow. I'm going, wow, you know. Good on him. Yeah, but I think this, so the change business, I think this is when the kids go, for a lot of people, there's this sense of loss and a sense of the end. Yeah. It's not the end. It's not the end. It's It's a change, but it's a big change. Yeah. It's a big change. And I think that's the sort of scary bit, scary thing. There's a big change. But there is also an opportunity. So there's this opportunity versus sort of whatever. Now, we also do live in a culture that sort of values the young and the beautiful and the Mm. capable and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, but really, really, this possibility. But weighing up this kind of what we started with, the kind of loss of one thing that's been really important or the change. And, you know, there's a grief bit to that. But trying to balance that with the, okay, where's the opportunities? A reinvest in the, the spousal, spousal relationship, the parental relationship that we've had, make that work. Do I look out in the wider world? What other things do I do so that you actually, you know, yeah. in, in the background, the kids can get on with their life <laughs> yeah. and you can have a good relationship with them, but you're actually getting on with your yeah, life fantastic. too and, in, in, in an emotional sense. Yeah, and listen, if um, it does feel like something of a, a, a big change, almost a crisis, uh, listen to our episode on dealing with a crisis that has a lot more stuff on dealing with all sorts of crises, whether it be a, a bushfire or a death of a loved one, but some of that is probably relevant to this as well. Any questions or comments or want to suggest further topics for us, please send us an email at mindingyourmind2, that's mindingyourmind, numeral2 at gmail.com. Mining Your Mind is supported by Future Generation Global and the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health. Further help's available from Headspace, Beyond Blue, Head to Health and Lifeline. Google them or you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14.